Low Light, Episode Six. A hush grows inside the little theatre on Alder Road this cold February morning, as Tanya stands framed by the red velvet curtains in the semi-darkness as she pauses before walking forward. Not quite the searchers as an image, but you get the drift. A moth flutters in the middle distance, caught in the light. Reg clocks it and positions himself mid-aisle, ready to pounce. All at once, Tanya sets forth, sweeping into the auditorium, disrupting the dog-moth scenario. She stops again and takes in the faces turned towards her. Hello, Tanya, begins Brandon. This is a meeting about Padma's funeral says Charity clearly with a lovely projecting voice. Tanya shields her eyes from the stage lights. Charity, I thought I might find you here. How long are you going to be? It's ten to twelve. Almost time. A number of frowns make themselves at home on people's faces. I don't know. I'm needed here. Brandon picks up his cue. Sorry, Tanya, we'll be a little while longer, but join us, why don't you? If you'd like to wait. Oh well, Charity, nice try. Eric smiles tightly at Tanya. Tanya acknowledges this and with a flourish takes a seat. Thank you, Brandon, I will. Perhaps I can be of some help. Cat squeaks involuntarily and suddenly concentrates on picking ferociously at the black and yellow tape stuck on the edge of the stage. Her face blooms roses, not ideal for someone trying to avoid looking like a blackmailer. Tanya gives her a cool look, saves her response until later. And actually I have some news to share. The council have approved my application to use the church as a collection and distribution centre for the refugee appeal. Perhaps I could also... Yes, um, yes, well, thank you, Tanya, that sounds brilliant. Well done, but if we could discuss that after we, um... Eric, have you finished? Finished? No, of course not. Did it sound like I was finished? In the pregnant pause, the moth brrrs, glancing down at Reg as he wafts past, before doing a handbrake turn and attempting another lower flyover. Is he playing with the poor dog? He might be, you know. Mischievous moths, eh? There's a turn up. Or is our Mr. Moth actually a mischievous mim? because we will be wondering about these mims now, won't we? No, of course, Eric, sorry. It's just we probably do need to talk about the arrangements. Remember, you could always continue your story after we've made the plans, or come back. Or tell some of those stories as part of the celebrations, Eric. At Padma's funeral, perhaps? Hmm? prompts Lewis. Now, is it me, or is there a touch of spite in his tone of voice? I thought he was such a nice man. Perhaps he's just upset about Padma. What? Eric shields his eyes from the lights, which seem to have brightened. He looks smaller, greyer. Oh, yes, of course. Here, Brandon, you sit here and take the meeting, I'll... Uh... No, Eric, you stay there. I'm all right here. Eric fades back, shrinks a little. Right. OK, so the idea is to plan a celebration of Padma's life here in her community. I thought we could walk the neighbourhood in Padma's honour, make a day of it. Involve all of her friends and neighbours. It'll be like a parade or a procession that ends in a celebration. A bit like a wake, I suppose. With the coffin, Tanya murmurs, 
almost under her breath and rolls her eyes at Gavin, who is at a loss how to respond. He glances at Shirley. No respite there, only reproach. He didn't ask for the rolling eyes, did he? He forms a pleading expression, then gives up with folded arms. Uh, yes, anyway, if we could just come up with a rough outline of activities so that we can start to research logistics and divide tasks, that will be enough for today. Brandon is actually very good at this kind of thing. She wanted to be cremated and her ashes sent into the breeze above the track, whispers Eric. The track? Oh, you mean the public footpath that runs from the rear of your property up into the community garden? Well, seems eminently doable. Yes, Eric, OK, uh, we'll make sure that that's taken into account then. Uh, now, can we take suggestions of what people can contribute from this group? Uh, then we can make a list of what we need and send that out to the neighbour group chat. A big sigh from Tanya. Kat gives an almost imperceptible shake of her curly head. Tanya sees this, smiles and settles back. Schoolyard stuff, this. It really is. OK, well, I'll start, says Brandon. I'll produce the day, so the coordination of all the activities and volunteers. I can stage manage if we do something here, says Charity. General nods and murmurs of agreement there. I've got some outtakes from when Padma did something in my studio. Some of them are actually really funny and, well... Just lovely, really. Maybe we could get everyone to say something about Padma on video or just voices and add it all together and it could live on the website like a online memorial. I'll film it if we do that. This is excellent. Great ideas. Sarah and I will coordinate any decorations, banners, bunting, that kind of thing, lighting around the walking route. Good. Well, Tanya, says Kat with a smile, swinging her legs slightly like she's eight. That just leaves you and me. D-ream team, high five. Oh, no, sorry. There's that word, team. That's not going to work, is it? OK, I'll do publicity. Right, says Brandon, who is becoming rapidly concerned about the vibe in here. There's a little pause. I'd like to help. Of course, I said so. I'll just do whatever is helpful. I know, the church. If it's back in use, could we use it as one of the key venues? Tanya glares at Gavin, who has made this triumphant suggestion. Gavin raises suggestive eyebrows to Shirley, who can't help a little smile, and rallies with, Yes! Lovely idea! Tanya? Tanya takes in a breath, ready to speak, but the neighbours have got the bit between their teeth now. Great idea! Cuts in Lewis like a whippet, and then... We could show the video in there, pops in Gavin, beaming, and Charity is ready with, do the outside lights still work? I could put some gels on the floodlights so it's lit up, all multicoloured. Like Padma was, says Kat. Yeah, exactly, says Charity. She loved the light and the colour, sneaks in Eric. Honestly, it's like the West End. Someone's going to burst into song in a minute. And music says Shirley. Is there still a PA in there? If not, we could get one. See? Well, nearly. Well, if Tanya agrees, why don't we start the whole thing off at the church, says Brandon, animated now. And we could end back here at the theatre. Look, I'm happy to help as much as I can, but the building will be in use by then. By when? asks Lewis. By the time Padma's body is released. Oh, you've spoken to the police about that, have you? No, Lewis. 
I do have some experience of these things, as I think you're aware. That silences Lewis, who has the grace to look a little sheepish. Of course. I'm sorry. Reg wanders over to sit next to Tanya. I think he feels sorry for her. I suppose we could gather people in the church car park. Oh, but it'll be cold, won't it, Tanya? Couldn't everyone at least gather inside, says Shirley, trying to catch the ball. Unfortunately, I don't think the building would be insured for that anyway. Gavin, chivalrous, chimes in with, But your connections, Tanya, surely the council or the diocese or, or whoever it is that... I'm sorry, I don't think it will work. But, yes, we could gather people outside, so it will be a landmark on the walking tour. Is that what you're planning? So, yes, that. The moth hovers. Reg puts his chin on Tanya's lap. Brave. Tanya looks utterly astonished, and Shirley looks genuinely concerned for his safety. Reg sighs and looks up at Tanya with puppy eyes. Everyone waits. Then the moth takes its chance to dive-bomb Reg, and he's all action, leaping away from Tanya and eliciting a collective sigh of relief and some giggles. That's very kind of you, Tanya, says Brandon. Brilliant, Tanya, thank you. Lewis's guilt still evident there. OK, says Brandon. All right. So we'll start at the church, and once everybody is gathered, set off on our route. Now we need to decide... Dawn, says Eric. Sorry, Eric. We should meet before dawn at the church, and if Charity can light it... That's a lovely idea, Charity. I'm so glad you'll be involved. Yeah, of course, Eric. Yes, and... Uh, we can gather there. You see, Padma liked the transition from the dark to the light, and she loved the morning. Ah, it's where her spirit was to be found, really. And perhaps we'll find her again, if we're together and thinking of her then. So, can we light the church building, Tanya, and wait while people gather? And then turn off the lights when we're ready and wait for the light to come down from the sky. Then Padma will join us, I think. I think she will. And perhaps, perhaps if we remember her together and her stories, and perhaps if we gather the young people, perhaps we can stop the blood. The blood? says Tanya, alarmed, and to be fair, she's only voicing what everyone else is thinking. Except Gavin, who has an air of sagacity about him. He nods knowingly. From the track, he murmurs. Shirley hears him and looks at him questioningly. Eric stares over too. Cat shifts uneasily, and Lewis looks like his face will crack any minute. Tanya casts her eyes about looking for some kind of explanation, but... Will Henry come? Where is Henry? asks Eric, turning his head stiffly. Cat can't resist a glance at Tanya. Tanya stares at Eric, and then at Cat. Shirley sits up with a meaningful look at Gavin, and then Gavin's on his feet. I think Eric needs a drink of water, he says and Eric has indeed started to droop. Reg follows Gavin on stage as he attends to Eric. And El, says Eric with a quavering voice, I need her. Oh. El, says Tanya, who's that? Is that the girl who was staying with you, Eric, because the police need to speak to her? Reg is now in full moth pursuit. Actually, there are two moths. No, three. Reg is confused, but it doesn't stop him chasing back and forth. It's quite entertaining. Can you get some water, Cat? Shirley is in rescue mode. Charity, can you turn these lights down? They're hot.
Let's have some quiet, shall we? Brandon? She gestures with her head. Yes, yes, come on, everyone. Let's give Eric some peace. He looks a bit distressed. Into the bar, will you? Uh, Lewis, would you mind putting kettle on? It should have warmed up in there by now. Tanya stands, looking under her eyebrows at Eric, sat slumped with Shirley and Gavin attending, Charity lurking behind them like a golem, and that ratty dog tearing about the stage like a maniac. With jaw set and something like retribution simmering in those glorious eyes, out she sweeps. On stage, as Reg pauses to pant and the auditorium regains its hush, this morning's final act ensues. I saw Elle last night. Is she not coming back then, Eric? Asks Charity. Shh, says Gavin as if he's in panto. Shirley looks at him. It's all right, Charity. She's just gone away for a bit. And what about Henry? Is he okay? Yeah, he's okay, don't worry. Is he? Yeah, honestly, don't worry about it. Right. Cat comes back with water and hands it to Gavin. She watches from the auditorium floor as Gavin tends to the old man and he revives a little. Shirley takes Charity away a step or two. Are you okay? Me? Yeah, of course. What do you mean you saw Elle last night? Where was that? What time? I saw her leaving Eric's. Just happened to be looking out the window is all. But I didn't know she was going, going. It was quite late, actually. I did wonder where she was off. Charity, you don't think she had any reason to hurt Padma, dear? What? A bit loud, so Charity adjusts to a stage whisper. I mean... No, why would she? Padma loved Elle. She was like Padma's long-lost daughter. Why are you asking? Tanya was right. The police do want to question her. Apparently she was seen at Padma's house at the time of the murder. No. No. Who? Who saw her? Sally. The colour drains from Charity's face. Are you sure you're okay, Charity? Do you know anything about what happened? All four adults are now fixed on Charity. No, of course I don't. They all wait. Look, I'm not to blame. I know it's like the standard pastime round here to blame me for everything bad that happens, but I'm not to blame for this. I'm not. I'm not blaming you. Who do you think you are anyway, Sherlock? No, I... Charity, I'm sorry. You think I'm a murderer. Is that what you're saying? Quiet. Shirley slams at her. Be quiet, Charity. Stop it. Now. You're overreacting. She looks into Charity's eyes, very close to her, holds her gaze solidly. Charity is poised. Fight or flight. Truth or dare. Neither. Tanya's voice floats down the middle aisle like poison gas. Charity, I have a busy afternoon, so can we get going, please? If your services are no longer essential to proceedings. Hmm? Tell you what, let's pop round the corner to my house. I've some soup just made. Charity freezes. Shirley turns around, her eyes wide and brain on full alert. She smiles at Tanya and nods an acknowledgement. She turns back and mouths, I don't think you did it, Charity, okay? If you need anything, call me or Gavin, any time, and steps smoothly away. Come on, Eric, let's get a warm drink into you. Gav, she says. Oh, right, yeah, of course. Kat is staring at Tanya from her premium audience position. Coming then, Charity, says Tanya. Yeah, come in. I'll just get my bag. Charity steps into the wings, stage left, and waits, heart hammering. Where is Henry, Kathleen? You seem to have misplaced him. I mean, I'm assuming he isn't back here with you. 
One can usually hear him from a mile away with that loud mouth of his. It's Cat. Hmm? My name is Cat. No one calls me Kathleen anymore, Tanya, as you know. The women hold each other's stare. Not willing to divulge, eh? Surely his school will have something to say about that, won't they? If you'd like me to have a chat with the Board of Governors. Cat looks at Tanya with something approaching pity. No? Well, if I can be of help, do let me know. It can be difficult dealing with a child like that. All alone. Expensive, too. Oh, my. Cat has gone pale. She's about to speak when... Charity, I'll wait outside, Tanya calls and leaves the auditorium, stirring the dust in the air as she sweeps away. Charity steps quietly from the blacks into the paint store, grabs her things and moves outside. She tows the bag she's hidden behind some old pallets further out of sight, cringing, leans against a wooden post, holding up the crumbling lean-to roof. What are you going to do, Charity? What? Come on, there must be something. Everything is an opportunity. Yes, what's the opportunity? Knowledge. Knowledge is power. Knowledge. Okay. And she straightens, touches her stomach again and breathes in and out. The frozen air holds her upright and she almost glides through it, round the outside of the building. By the time she's at the front, Charity has gained the poise and maturity that at times bewilders and even infuriates her father. She crunches through the icy snow to stand beside Tanya. Shall we go? She says. The street trees shiver in the harsher light of midday. The sun is desperate to break through properly, but the crows are up in their trees, berating it, and laughing at its failure to perform. Sprinkles of snow, like icing sugar, powder down, as Tanya and Charity crunch along to the house that sits on the graceful curve between Holly Road and Hawthorne Road. The building's facade is incongruous among the red-bricked Victorian townhouses and terraces, with their ornate gables and roof finials the glazed cheeks of their elegant dormer windows, the occasional bit of stained glass. Even the houses with plastic replacement windows look more at home in this area than Tanya's house, what was Anthony Lawton's house, before he died. Tanya's house could be an escapee from the Cotswolds, or perhaps a 1930s old Hollywood pile, promising an outdoor pool round the back if we approached it on a summer's day. All honey-coloured stone and mullioned windows, a double front door, everything well-maintained, fronted by a gravel expanse and framed with topiary and beautifully manicured pots of winter-appropriate plants. And it's quiet, like the selfish giant's garden after he's kicked out the children. No noisy birds here, just a... Really? Is that that moth from the theatre? He flutters up from Tanya's coat cape as she reaches to unlock the door. She doesn't notice the insect's escape. She turns her head to find Charity, who has stopped at the gateway to the drive. Charity does not look comfortable with this. It's all right, Charity. Come on, let's get in and get warm. We'll just have a chat, that's all. Surprisingly, there is understanding on Tanya's face. Then she turns back and is all business as she opens the door, disarms the alarm and sets about derobing. Charity enters the dragon's lair, slowly and with her wits very much about her. Although she doesn't seem to notice that she is being followed, 
surreptitiously by Monsieur Moth. Coffee? Tea? Juice? Or shall we have a glass of wine together, hmm? No? I'll fetch water for now, then you can decide. Coat here. She opens a cupboard. Then go through. Make yourself at home. I won't be a moment. Tanya disappears down a hushed, honey-coloured corridor. Charity can hear her phone begin to ring. She goes into some kind of living space. She looks at the photographs on the wall and is drawn to a black and white image of three men. Tony. Someone else she doesn't recognise. And... Is that... Eric? It's Eric. She's sure of it. She gets her phone out and... Click. The moth is still investigating the grand arrangements of twigs and berries that stand tall and proud atop the circular hall table. But he's a curious fellow, and it looks like he's decided to follow the sound of Tanya's lovely voice. We'll go with him. She won't hear us coming. Not with this quality of carpet underlay. Well, it's no longer a problem, Lance, because Eric's girl has fled, so until she turns up, the police have no reason to search the grounds. I hope the security is in place at the church. We should make the transfer as soon as possible, in any case. Wednesday evening will be best. Eric goes to his meeting then, doesn't he? So what? Are you seriously telling me it's more important to attend a local football match than dealing with this situation, which could, Lance, have so easily gone awry last night? Well, there will be other football matches, and no doubt the one you're interested in will be broadcast on the radio, won't it? Do you possess headphones, Lance? They're a very useful invention. You do? Wonderful. Well, bring them with you and you can do what we call multitasking. Now, I expect this to be completed by 10pm. Don't be ridiculous, Lance. I have every faith in you. Now, I have to go. Charity is waiting for lunch. What? What do you think I'm going to do to her, Lance? Actually, I do have something approaching respect for Charity. She has something about her. Not sure where she got it from. As long as she doesn't start mouthing off like Kathleen's born of the devil, then there will be no problem. Oh, I don't have time for this. Check in with me on Wednesday when everything has been dealt with and make sure you remain unseen. Use the track, Lance. And she clicks her phone, stopping a moment to listen and to let her eyes wander to the view of the garden from the kitchen window. She stares at a garden building in the far corner. Behind is the edge of Eric's garden. The trees there lower at her, darker than usual. The moth enters her airspace and she swats at it, frowning, before setting about hosting her lunch. The polished wood of the furniture breathes its waxy scent out into the drawing room where Charity stands awkwardly. A clock ticks expensively. Suddenly, Tanya is all action, and Charity snaps her head around to her. Who's this? Who? Let me see. Oh, that one. Well, Tony there, Eric, and I don't know him. Were Tony and Eric friends, then? Apparently although I don't know when they last saw each other. That was taken in the early 70s, I think. Eric was a good-looking man then, wasn't he? His mother was beautiful, apparently. Nothing from charity. Let's go through. You must be hungry. Come on. Twelve place settings. The table is deep mahogany and has twelve place settings. The soup smells nice. Charity relaxes a little, seats herself. Dad said you worried about the, um, the warehouse. Oh, it's not a warehouse, is it? The charity falters. It's as good a word as any. Yes, I was concerned because the police want to speak to the girl staying at Eric's house, so that obviously increases the risk of discovery. Elle wouldn't have been involved with what happened. Really? Why? 
Do you know something about what happened? Why do people keep asking me that? Tanya settles in, starts to enjoy herself. Well, duh, Charity. No response from Charity except an indignant look. You have been in trouble with the police before. So? I'm young. You're allowed to make mistakes when you're young, aren't you? High spirits and all that doesn't mean I hurt Padma. Tanya sets down her glass. I don't think you hurt Padma. I don't think that would be your, shall we say, your chosen mode. Too messy. Too much blood. An uncomfortable laugh escapes from Charity then, along with a reddening of the face. Yeah, whatever. I do think you're someone who is capable of murder, though, Charity. Charity is disconcerted, not surprising, really. It's only a Monday lunchtime with leek and potato soup and a jug of tap water on the table. Hardly the setting for such talk. It's a compliment. Another actual laugh. Is she serious? Charity does take it as a compliment, actually, although she's not sure why. She's flattered, that's it. And, however much she tells herself that she dislikes Tanya, she can't help admiring her as well. Although, she is concerned as to what Tanya is actually trying to say here. It couldn't be, could it? Knowledge is power. Best find out, then. What do you think my mode would be, then, Tanya? You knowing all about these things. Oh, Something subtle, something that would require planning and nerve, something likely to be passed over as natural causes. Charity's face drains of colour, but she rallies and attacks her soup with vigour. The moth hovers near the bread. Charity frowns at it and blows, disrupting its balance and sending it off to the window. Well, in that case, aren't you worried about having me in your house, Tanya? Three hours I've had this morning to plan something subtle. If we didn't know these people, we might assume they were related. Aunt and niece, perhaps. Or were generous rivals in business, relishing the game. It is a game. That's what this has become. I don't think you would hurt someone unless you had a good reason, Charity. I haven't yet earned your wrath, have I? Not really, despite that bitter taste in your mouth. Now, if my husband were here, then there might be something to worry about, given your little friend's accusations. Don't sneer at Henry, and they're more than accusations. They're facts. Tanya's eyes flash. She's enjoying herself. Her eyes glitter as she holds Charity's gaze with, it has to be said, admiration. There is guilt there too, though. Charity sees it. She sees it. Tanya takes a drink and swirls the water in the glass. Out of interest, when was the last time you saw Tony? Are you serious? Very interesting you don't answer the question. Because it's ridiculous. You can't think I had anything to do with his death. The women hold each other's gaze. I can't remember when I saw him last. Can't you? God, I don't know. It would have been at Lance's house, probably. Which at the time was still your house. Charity's eyes harden. Well, whatever. That was the only place I ever saw him. Not through choice, either. He was always there, sitting there, staring, smiling his sneery smile, saying disgusting things about my mother. Slagging you off, too. Being a twat. A creep. What did he say about your mother? Can we just stop this back and forth, Tanya? You obviously know everything, don't you? You know everything about that horrible man what he did. His nasty trade in photographs and videos. You do know what he did to my mother. He says, he's, 
She swallows, half rises from her chair. Oh, God, sorry, I think I'm going... The door under the stairs. And Charity rushes out to vomit up the appalling snatches of memory from her childhood and the unthinkable conversation she had with Tony. Tanya sits and swirls her water. Seriousness has clouded her face. She watches the moth at the window, hears the flush from the cloakroom, and gets up, pouring water for Charity, going into the hall to meet her. Charity stands, shaking, wiping her mouth with the back of her hand. Here, Tanya hands the glass to her. Did he tell you he had an affair with your mother? Oh, he told me he could be my father. Tanya dips her head and looks at Charity from under her eyebrows. He was an out-and-out shit, Charity. Yeah, he was a criminal, exploiting people, women and children, for money. And you must have helped him. No, you must have. I did not know about any bis any activity of that kind. Liar. No, I'm not lying, Charity. Turning a blind eye isn't the same as not knowing, Tanya. It's not as simple as that. I was four years old when I... I, I can't properly remember, but there were always these men sitting, drinking, smoking and... Oh, Charity has tears in her eyes. I could not have done anything to stop him, Charity. I was utterly under his power, do you understand? I hated him. Within months of marrying him, I realised what he was, but it was too late. I wasn't strong enough then. The moth makes himself at home among the folds of the heavy curtains by the front door. Otherwise, the place is still. It took me 20 years to build myself back into what I should have been all along. 20 years to come up with a plan to deal with Tony. And then, suddenly, three months ago, he came home from your house and collapsed. Charity's eyes are round and she looks like she might run for the door. Was it you? Don't be. Was it? I won't tell the police. I have to go. She turns to leave. Tanya strides over and puts herself in front of the door. Charity, listen to me. If you begin to talk about my husband and what he did in public, if you go to the police, remember this conversation. Do not think that you can manipulate me because I have taken a masterclass in manipulation for the last two decades and I know every play, every strategy, every trick. Charity tries to get past, but Tanya grabs her hand, which still clutches the water glass. Charity, she says softly, I do not want to hurt you. I want to help you, to try and make some amends for... for Tony. And I don't want to see you ruin your life completely by making the same mistakes I made. You can take control. You have the wherewithal to do so. Just... just leave that Henry boy to his own weird devices and stop digging into Tony's past activities. The people he was involved with were... are... dangerous. Tony was a pussycat compared to them. What about my mum? What about me and the others? Tanya holds her gaze and shakes her head. You'll need your coat. She gets Charity's fake fur jacket and long fluffy scarf from the cupboard. I need you to be there for the transfer of our property from Eric's terrace room to the church on Wednesday, early evening. Just go with Lance and make sure nothing hitches up. Make sure he uses the track, not the road. Your father's behaviour has been a little erratic recently. If you have any sway over him, it'd be a good idea to get him to sort himself out before the operator notices. Charity raises her chin stubbornly. 
but she diminishes in the face of Tanya's managerial prowess and eventually nods. Tanya extracts the water glass from Charity's hand, shoves her clothing at her and pushes her out the door. She shuts it behind her as Charity just stands there, on the gravel, clutching her stuff, staring at the ground. A moment, and then it's head down and she's off, pushing arms into sleeves, wrapping scarf around neck, digging for gloves in pockets, determined. She turns left, away from her flat. She tramps down Hawthorne, past Gavin's house, past Brandon Moles, until she reaches the forensic activity, still evident, at Padma's little terrace. She can't see much. There's one of those white tents across the front. Her eyes dart to a movement in the bay window next door. Sally. Charity sees her move towards the door, and she shifts herself quickly down and into Rowan Drive, jogging, sure-footed, to her dad's house, round the side and shuts the gate. She spies Sally awkwardly enter the mouth of the cul-de-sac, unsure of her footing in her slippers, through a gap in the wooden slats. Sally stops and stares at the empty street a while. Then she looks almost dejected as she turns and goes back to her house and her television. The houses are pale bricked, damp. There are dark unlit windows waiting for their owners to return from work, or curtains drawn in some of them against the cold and the February sky. The trees loom blackly, Slick ice waits on the paths, and brown slush lurks wetly, pockmarked by drips of water from recently returned cars. The afternoon sinks towards evening. In the Lower Lee Community Garden, Cavallo Nero stands stoic, its proud leaves glow purple-black in the snow. The leftover stems of late summer flowers spike up, waiting to be dealt with. Teasels bobble about spikily in the breeze. There's a shelter in the far corner, next to a storage shed, padlocked. Charity walks into the garden and seats herself under the rotting roof of the lean-to. She sits with hands in pockets and thoughts in a swirl. She can't get the image of Tanya's hand around hers, around the glass, out of her head. She stares at the old frayed bunting, dropping from post to post, and at Padma's back gate. Eric said the track would have blood on it. His idea of the track started at Padma's front step, so... Yes, it does. She spilled it. It was her fault. It was her fault. Fat tears swell and sit for a quivering moment, then roll down. She tucks her chin into her jacket, done right up as it is, her auburn hair low over her eyes, luxurious in its thickness, her small nose red, her eyes screwed up now, nothing to see. You can't see past the eyelids, shut tight tight against what's left of the light. She cries her tears. She came to this garden with her mum. She came and dug her hands into the soil in the summertime, the warm soil. She wants her mum. She wants Henry or Elle. She cries. Shirley said she'd help. Shirley. Henry would tell her to go to Shirley. She nods to herself, comforts herself. Those eyelids relax a little. She sniffs and wipes and sighs and breathes herself better. There they are, those green jewels. They peep. Then Charity forces her shoulders down and breathes in once more. She stands and turns and marches with purpose onto the dark track and with the moth shadowing her, makes for the last known whereabouts of Shirley and Gavin. The track runs round the edge of the garden, 
through a gateway with no gate and into a strip of unused land left to run wild. It feels like the countryside, smells like it, the oxygen, the leaf litter, all covered today by the snow. Well, not all. The track itself runs as a dark line into the dim distance, on towards the back of Eric's property, dog-legging at the gate to the ginnel that links Lightwood Road, Alder and many neighbours' back gardens. The trees and bushes are black and they creak and they seem to want to scratch at Charity. They loom. That's it. She thought that earlier. They loom under the gathering cloud, in the lowering light, the winter dusk. Charity sees the moth and does a double take. She stops as if to have a stern word with it. What does it think it's doing? It's February. Aren't moths asleep in February? It's a furry, powdery thing. Dark body, pale wings. She's about to step on when she sees another one. Then another. Then there are more of them in a little cloud, and this evolves into something like a whirlwind of greyish-brownish flutterings around her. She stands flapping her hands at them until, all at once, as if there has been some silent signal, they all disappear into the dark shadows of an ivy-clad fence. Charity shakes herself, then continues onwards, thankful for the cold air reviving her. As she goes, she becomes aware of a tinkling sound, like glass chimes, looks up into the dark trees above and sees hundreds of little icicles, and she thinks that they sound like they're being played, like a musical instrument. Despite her testing afternoon and her frame of mind, she smiles. Then she becomes aware of a low growl. Her smile disappears until she sees a flash of red fox and she breathes out again. So she goes on. But then she thinks, why isn't the track covered in snow? There can't have been that many people walking on it today. She remembers again what Eric said about blood on the track and remembers the slash and the warm blood on her hands dripping onto Padma's step. She stops and crouches down and touches the black earth, expecting it to be rich with iron and life, but it's just earth. Then she realises it's warm. The scene she inhabits is winter, cold and hard, but the track itself is warm, as if it's alive. She panics and sets off running, bursts into the ginnel, can't see lights at Eric's, turns to run to the theatre and flies into Brandon, who is walking with Eric, Shirley, Cat and Gavin, up older. Hey, hey, Charity, are you all right? asks a concerned Brandon. The friends gather around Charity, worried. Charity's heart is beating hard. Oh, yeah, hi. <clears throat> no, sorry, I'm just, um, just... I don't know, I got a bit freaked out, uh, you know, like someone walked over my grave, you know. But, oh, <laughs> I just think maybe I'm cold and tired. Shirley steps forward and puts an arm around Charity's shoulders. Eric looks at Gavin. Gavin catches the stare and frowns. I've just come from Tanya's. She was asking if I had anything to do with Padma. An involuntary shudder grips her and her tears almost return. Shh, 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 it's okay. She was probably just trying to make trouble, you know what she's like. Why were you meeting her anyway? Why? Oh, God, it doesn't matter, does it? Okay, okay. Charity, what's wrong? Honestly, nothing. An afternoon with Tanya would set anyone on edge, quips Brandon. Yeah, says Charity, too brightly. I'm fine. Honestly, I'm going to go home. So they all continue up older as the afternoon continues to wane. Eric announces that he wants to go to Padma's house 
so they continue on, past Lightwood House. Deirdre wraps her furry tail around the gatepost as they pass, but her meows go unheeded. A smirk there from Reg. Unnecessary, but that's cats and dogs for you. As they pass the flats, Gavin walks Charity to her door. What happened on the track? Nothing, honestly. I was just being silly. What was it? Why? It's just something Eric's been saying. Got me thinking, is all. You mean about the blood? What? Oh, yeah, no. Not that. Although, why? Did you see blood? No, of course not. Are you all right, Gavin? Me? Yeah, I'm okay. Go on, tell me. Oh, okay. Well, there were these moths. I know, right? I just thought it was strange in winter. And I thought, was there a moth in the theatre this morning? Oh, I don't know, they just looked the same. They were swirling round me, a big cloud of them. It was just really odd. <laughs> then a fox was growling and the wind was making the icicles tinkle. Yeah, I know, I told you, it's just my imagination. I suppose I was thinking about what Eric said. I walked past Padma's and oh, I was thinking about the blood on her front step. And then, I don't know, when I looked at the track, I wondered why it was so dark. You know, because there's snow everywhere. I mean, the place is a bright white winter wonderland, but when I was there on my own... I thought, I don't know, I wondered. So I crouched down and touched it. I don't really know why, but anyway, it was so strange because it was really warm. I mean, it's cold today, but that earth was blood warm. That's, yeah, that is... Uh, yeah, and there can't have been that many people up there today, so why was it? Yeah, but I don't know, maybe, maybe there's some pipe underground or something. But I can see why you were a bit freaked out. Oh, I think we're all a bit juddery after what happened, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, obviously. Will you be okay on your own tonight? You do look a bit pale, actually. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Well, if you want us... We've got our numbers. Yeah, thanks. Gavin turns. Gav? Yeah. Is Henry really okay? Yeah, yeah. He's with some of Cat and Shirley's relatives, I think. Overseas. Overseas? Yeah. Right. Do you know how long he'll be away? Don't know. Maybe ask Cat. I'd better go, actually. Take care, okay? Gavin leaves Charity on the doorstep and jogs off, slipping almost, he's like a weeble, that man, and joins the others as they approach Padma's house. The group halts outside and looks at the white tent, the police tape. The street lights have come on and the light is lower down now, concentrated around the snowy gardens and pavements, held down by the extent of the creaking, darkening tree silhouettes. What's up with her? Eric asks Gavin quietly as he arrives. The girls and Brandon are saying goodbye, plans for the evening having been made. Shirley gestures to Gavin to see Eric home. He nods, waits for them all to exit the earshot zone and... Could be something, could be nothing. Well, what, lad? Warm earth on the track on a freezing cold day. Massing moths. Musical icicles. Eric nods, presses his lips together, sighs. Would any of that be cause for concern? Well, um, I possibly, possibly. Eric's attention drifts into himself. Although I thought the moths were happy enough in the roof of the theatre. 
Or perhaps they were wakened by the story. Hmm. Right. But, Eric, what's with the warmth? The green bottle was warm. And the track? Is that just a coincidence? Well, what do you think, Gavin? What else is warm? Hmm? Here, take my hand. He pokes his gnarled hand out and Gavin takes it. Feel that? Warm, eh? Yes, obviously, but the green stuff isn't alive, is it? Neither is the earth on the footpath. Eric looks at him with patience. Is it? Right. OK. Actually alive. I mean, it can't be actually. Come on, lad, let's go and have a look and see what's what. I think a handful of that black earth might be the thing to help me face the evening with Brandon and... What's his husband's name again? John. It's not a difficult name to remember, Eric. All right, all right. I just get a blank whenever I think of him is all. No need to be snippy. They step on down Hawthorne, Sally watching from behind her curtains. Lewis sees them too from across the street. Eric flicks his eyes over and sees Sarah call from within the house and Lewis turn then to attend to his domestic evening. They turn into the community garden just as Charity did earlier. Once they pass through the gateway to the track proper, Gavin ventures, So do you think the Mims are on the move? Don't try and be poetic, Gavin. Sorry, but do you? Eric stops. He creaks his body down and places his palm onto the dark earth on the track. He smiles and allows the warmth to seep into his cold hand. He pushes his fingers into the soil and takes some. Gavin copies him. He looks up at Eric, surprised. Eric sniffs at it, puts a little in his coat pocket. Gavin drops his. They stand up together and brush off the soil from their knees as they move onwards. Walking together like old friends, they walk through the rough grass tufting above the snow listening to the tinkling sounds in the trees and the animal noises from the dark undergrowth. It's comforting in a way. They step one foot and then the other, puff out clouds of breath, allow the landscape to accompany them home. Once they reach the end of the stretch of track just before the gate that lets into Eric's garden, they stop and look back. It's like a Bruegel painting. The crows caw. The wind hurls a gust and leaves lift and swirl despite their snow-sodden state. Eric shivers and takes fright, hurrying them both round to the side door, picking up Deirdre on the way, perched as she was on the top of the old fence, and in they go to the UPVC entryway and safety, under the harsh strip light of the kitchen, with the smell of dried baked beans and old tea bags for a welcome. Gavin is at least expecting the offer of tea, but Eric keeps going, up to the lantern, as if it's the crow's nest of a ship. Up he goes until he gets to the glass and looks out, frown evident. Gavin arrives after him to witness dozens of moths pelting the glass of the little room. Eric turns, distraught, gesturing wildly towards the light switch. Gavin puts the light out and the little puttering sound of mothicide diminishes as they stand there, letting the low light of the evening seep back into the room where the stories were once told. Out beyond the moth-stained glass, in the last of the day's light, the trees sway and their dark shadows close in on the sky. This time last night, Padma struggled with charity on her front step and pleaded with her for mercy. Now, the dark track begins to sniff at her absence and grasps for her fading memory. It begins to test its boundaries, finding them open-ended, 
and reaches out for other warm beings to bring it comfort on this cold, cold evening. Thank you for listening to Low Light. I'd love to know what you think of the show. Please rate and review via your chosen podcast app. You can also comment via social media using the hashtag Lowlight, via Twitter at Melanie Crawley, Instagram at Melanie Crawley, Facebook at Melanie Crawley Voice, and YouTube at Crawley Voice Studio. Excerpt trailers are posted via Twitter, Facebook and YouTube in advance of each episode. You can also sign up for my monthly e-news and check out my other voice work via crawleyvoicestudio.com. I hope you'll keep listening and see you for the next episode. Low Light is written, performed and produced by Melanie Crawley. The Low Light narrated audio drama podcast is copyrighted Melanie Crawley. 2022.